welcome everyone welcome dan it's good to have you um to we're gonna just chat see what happens um you'll seen dan on the on the podcast before or heard him certainly um you've also written blogs for me and we just get to have a lot of fun we hang out quite often and um yeah. dan is my hub in new england i go to dan and right. serena's house and we just travel extensively and have a lot of fun and um yeah but i love to have, have you on skype as much as possible so we can keep having the fun um, Absolutely. But yeah, but I like to share you with my audience as well, um, because you pull something out of me. I'm not sure if it's my best or my worst, but it's one of those two. I don't think it's anything in between, really. Jokes? Um, I don't know. Yeah. Which, again, could be the best or worst, depending on right. who's listening. Definitely. Yeah. Maybe not depending on me. Um, I pop yeah. up in your, um, on your Facebook page quite often. You do. No, you have, you, you have like like characters you play on my Facebook, don't you? But this is how you do Facebook. Anyway. You play different Facebooks and stuff. But right. uh yeah, my, I mean, we should let, because the podcast is a, a smaller group than the Facebook group, we should let the people mm. listen to podcasts in on your character ah, that you play on Facebook, because it'd be funny, because now when they see it, they'll they'll have a chuckle, rather than think you're probably a little bit insane. Probably, um, but, you're but right. But what is the latest character you've been playing? I mean, I don't even know if it's that well developed. I was just bored one day, and um, it's almost like over-spiritualizing everything you say, and I try to be as humble as possible, but it's really in a very, very prideful way right right like, it's like I'm, the I'm humble brag you're kind of making humble brag. showing off how humble you are <laughs> exactly yep one up in your post with my spirituality oh and everyone else in the post as well somehow uh, everybody else um, too yeah. yeah but what i what i love the most is it, it it just surprises me every time i don't know Good. why but like regardless of what i comment on you somehow manage to this character somehow manages to show up and just show ev show everyone up <laughs> declare how great they are without doing you know making it not about that how they serve everyone and they love everyone and they're not really you know so great and, um right. but it's just it cracks me up every single time and then there's always a few people that actually like like your comments as well Absolutely. like who obviously very like spiritual. this character yeah exactly very deep. maybe yeah. you've challenged people to be more humble maybe um they've maybe just looked past the i like the to think i'm outside so yeah. you help me you make me laugh good there we go Awesome. So, Dan, what have you been thinking about recently? I know we, we mentioned a few things that we might talk about on the podcast, but um, I don't know if there's stuff that you've been like mulling over in your head. You, you're I mean, always, always mulling right? over a lot in your head, right? Right. You're I like, like to me. think so. <laughs> Mostly uh, trolling you on Facebook and stuff, but no. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just so great to talk to you because we can just start on any topic and just roll with it, right? So, mm -hmm. um, I mean, stuff I've been thinking about lately probably is stuff we've talked about a little bit in the past, like language, mm -hmm. culture, and the church. Um, in particular, something I've been fascinated with the last couple years, but in particular, maybe the last couple months, is communication, right? I like to listen to a lot of podcasts. We listen to podcasts when we're together. Yeah. One thing I always uh, remark on probably to you and, and fascinated with is good conversationalists, right? Mm -hmm. I like listening to podcasts with people that really know how to communicate, really know how to talk to a wide um, variety of people from different backgrounds. And I think sometimes, is that a um, is that a valuable trait in the church culture? Mm -hmm. uh, is that something that we focus on or emphasize? Or is it something that's kind of um, either diminished or maybe not necessarily diminished, but just not um, a focus in the church? Good communication, good language. Obviously, this sounds like stuff I've brought up before with you because it, it kind of yeah. is. Yeah. Um, it's just yeah. something I've been thinking about in particular, you know, what do you, what do you think of like the pitfalls of that? And, and like, I mean, cause you, right. 
you're asking that maybe with a bit of a leading kind of uh, question right. where you would presumably say no we don't we don't focus on it enough or we don't we're not aware of it enough or is that kind of what you would say probably and i don't even know i haven't developed it enough to to think through um i'm not even necessarily thinking preacher to congregation communication because that's a stylistic thing some preachers are great at communication some are, are really not and there's yep. everybody in between but just um almost like peer to peer in the church um it, it is communication and and being uh, articulate and intentional is that something that's valuable or something that um, should be valuable and focused on at all in any way you know I have an example. I have a couple examples, yeah. actually. Going back to our time when we were actually students at Bethel like a long, long time ago, Bethel right. School of Ministry, um, and even some more recent examples. I'll give you a recent example. I uh, met a young person at church recently for the first time. Great person. Awesome. You know, whatever. Great to meet them. But here's a simple interaction of something that um, I'm kind of talking about. They're telling me about their summer. They're telling me about some trips they'd done and just different things that were going on. And I was really impressed with what they were able to do. And I said, well, those are some great trips that you were able to do. And they stopped me. No, no, no. Great trips that God did, you know, in my life. And and that could have rolled right over my head. Normally, maybe it does. Right. But yeah. it's a small little example of just a way to stop a conversation, almost a humble brag in and of itself mm -hmm. to, to say, no, 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 no. You, you said the wrong thing. I, you said that I, I did these great trips and I planned them, but God was the one that actually planned them. And they had a great heart probably behind saying that but it's like yeah. how often do we in the church police language and stop communication and does that rub people the wrong way you right. know what if i wasn't so ingrained in church culture would that have turned me off because typically if you're conversing with somebody it's almost like the rule of improv just let mm -hmm. keep the conversation go and let it flow like you know let's yeah. um let's keep this moving forward not stopping people and, and rubbing them in the wrong way you know, right. so a lot of times in the church, we can police language and just kind of not be as fluent in our conversation so, level. So that's really interesting to me, Dan, because like um, what's funny about that, right? Or at least it seems slightly ironic to me. I is, know going with this. this is what you're famous for on my blog, at least. Um, some of your blogs that you've written are about the language we use and how we maybe I wouldn't say you go as far as to say we need to police it or anything but we should be cautious about what we say and how we say it you know phrases like come Holy Spirit aren't necessarily right. very helpful because people then think like oh wait well is he not here and maybe if you're mature that's fine um, you right. kind of know what the person means oh I get their intent they're you know they're saying maybe be more aware of the Holy Spirit or something but a baby believer or someone that doesn't believe is like wait so how does this work so Holy Spirit isn't here and then they ask him to come and, and you've talked right. about this before so how so how do you yeah. marry those kind of elements and 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 maybe they're um you know they definitely seem to be at odds but I don't think they are so like something like come Holy Spirit that's not a helpful term to me. I think that might be a misleading or, or just uh, a false kind of um, idea or concept. So that's not helpful. So it doesn't, that's something that doesn't help the conversation. Um, how I would respond to that. Ah, here's, here's how you can marry those two ideas together. Um, if somebody said, oh, come Holy Spirit, I wouldn't jump in and go, uh, yep, you were wrong. He's here. You know, don't say that you were wrong. I would go, okay. oh, you know, and I would work past that in a way that actually does keep the conversation moving forward. Like I was just illustrating with the, the, the rules of improv or the rules of good conversation is you keep the conversation going. You don't just shut it down. Um, do you ever watch The Office with yeah, Michael of Scott? Right. OK. So some people remember when he was taking his improv class, what was his go to thing all the time? 
he'd pull out a gun, kill everybody, end scene. And it was like, you could see how exasperated everybody was because, oh, that just ends the entire concept of what they were doing. That's like the worst thing to do is just take out that gun in conversation, kill everybody, you have the final word, end scene. So if somebody says something that um, might be a little off, you think, or you disagree with, how do you work through that in a way that makes it a good conversation and a productive conversation? It doesn't just stop it short and you're not just police. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's interesting. So I, I remember speaking to John Crowder a bit about this a while back. Uh, you know, you're good friends with John as well. Yeah. And um, he was saying um, the difference between how he interacts with people on a corporate level and on an individual level. And he was saying that, he, you know, he's often seen as someone that kind of is like, you know, when he gets up on that pulpit, and he starts preaching, right? I mean, he's not even on the pulpit. He's pacing up and down. He's right. running between people. He's like, his voice is getting loud. He's he's yelling about what he's passionate about. And he will tear down certain phrases people use and things like that. Just not helpful. But he was saying, but when I'm like talking to, you know, a dear old granny who comes up to him at the end to talk right. to him and say how she enjoyed the service or something. And maybe she says something that he doesn't agree with the language. He's like, yeah. It doesn't matter. He's like, this is a person in front of me. I know their intent. I know their desire. And he's like, um, you know, there's an element of like, there's a responsibility when you're teach when you're teaching, when you're leading a corporate group, when you're writing a blog or something like that to go, hey, like we should think more about this stuff and we should engage with this stuff. But on a personal level, there's this it becomes nitpicking. Um, mm. especially because on that personal level, you probably do know more of that person's intent, their heart, whatever's going on. And it's, once you know what that person's intent is, and again, come Holy Spirit can be really damaging to the person in the back row that doesn't know what it means. But right. on the whole, most people probably know, oh, he means this, this, and this. And so it's not right. that damaging to other people necessarily. Um, but when someone's in a conversation with you and says, oh, and I was just hoping that Holy Spirit would come, you know their heart, you know where they're at, and you probably know if that's a really harmful thing or not. And if it is really harmful, you could probably work that into conversation on some level at some point. Um, but you know that there's an element of we need to keep the relationship, we need to keep the communication going, we need to keep things open. and um, Right, yeah, it's for the I think good just... of the relationship. But, I mean, you know, we've been in 10,000 meetings where Come Holy Spirit is said, and we don't bring it up. We, we don't correct people, right? So I'll write a blog about it, we'll do a podcast about it, I'll put it out there in a more public way as to not shame somebody that just said it in a prayer that, you know, we didn't like. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's there's a time and a place. And, again, that goes back to... Um, being self-aware conversationally. Um, And again, I think that's something that I really appreciate with good conversationalists is they know their audience, right? That's like the number one thing. And we need to know our audience, whether it's just a person or a congregation or a small group, whatever it is, and to know um, when to bring up things like that and when to, you know, uh, not. And most of the time it's when to not. (laughs) And I think it's just having grace for people as well. Like, you know, like you said, we travel, right? And so uh, we come across people of different persuasions to some degree or another. Sometimes it's very minor. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes it's very big. Like some of the differences are theologically huge. Some of the implications are theologically huge. You know, we, we've been to churches that um, would not see uh, God as Trinity, but see them as oneness. Right. And right. we go back again and again and we, we, we minister sure. there. We've been to churches that would maybe say, come Holy Spirit over and over and over again. Right. Same deal. Like, you know, we disagree. Probably not as big a... Uh, theological implication uh and right. I'm, I'm, when i say that if someone's listening to this and they're like but i am oneness i'm like yeah and i keep going back to your church that's okay I, i'm not saying right. that you know like death to all oneness preachers but i am saying that's a big theologically right. you uh, did say that earlier topic. but uh, yeah well i mean bef- off, off off air um oh. you know <laughs> no. 
Um, um, but yeah, I think it's, it's having a bit of awareness, having grace for people where they are, understanding that people are in different places, in different seasons. Like, um, you can't expect people to be somewhere other than where they are, in a sense. Um, yeah. And so you have to understand that growth and change happens slowly anyway. So you yeah. yelling someone out or you shutting them down and going, no, you're wrong by saying that, you're probably not going to change them necessarily. Right. Um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to hear more. What was your um, takeaway, your kind of feel with, especially like maybe our time at Bethel was a good example. It's a charismatic culture. Um, and so there's a lot of um, policing language, it seemed, um, going on within our peer group. You know, if you if you walked into class and said, <clears throat> I have a scratchy throat a little bit. No, I, I rebuke that. Or they, yeah, you know, they yeah. snap or they they would tell you something different. They shut down the thought, shut down the conversation mm -hmm. out of a heart of wanting to like cancel whatever thing you just yeah. said. Out of, but it also, a heart for you, right? I want you to be you. well. Um, but at least have, you hope that's the primary intent. You know, yeah, I mean, language there. It's like an extremism of like word of faith, charismatic mm -hmm. kind of Pentecostal, that kind of like, you know, what you say is important and it creates worlds. And I do believe that to, to, to a degree. I do believe that um, the way you purpose yourself, what you speak, you know, that sort of thing. It sets your intention. It can create realities around you. You know, what you say um, can form your beliefs, can form your right. actions. Absolutely. I believe that. Um, but it becomes this kind of like almost like fear driven reality where um, if I say I think I'm having a cold, God's going to be like, whoa, he said it. Let's do it. You know, I'm like, wait, right. is that how God works? Or maybe people don't believe that. Maybe it's like, oh, I think I'm getting a cold. And the devil's like, I got him. He said right. it. Now we can give him a cold. And God's like, right. oh, I don't know what to do. Um, you know, of course, that's kind of a bit ridiculous as well. Um, and in those caricatures, they are yeah. ridiculous. But I think people don't think about it in that sense. They just they've been taught, well, if you say something, it's bad, and don't say right. negative things, don't say, uh, don't speak death, you know, all all that kind right. of stuff. Don't speak death over people. Um, I think, yeah, this was, you know, it's it's probably sensible to try and be positive, to speak well yeah. about people, about yourself, but whatever circumstances, to see what God's doing in all those circumstances, and that probably isn't going to be deeply negative and destructive and full of sickness and death and whatever. But so, I mean, do we think that somehow God's setting us up to say it wrong? You know, so, it's, it's a superstition like, kind of model, right? Yeah. It's, it's the people that pray, you know, how um, people pray something, but then they like get like really oddly specific because they're like somehow believe that God, isn't good enough to just figure it out based on the vague prayer. So it's like, He's not tracking oh, with you know, yeah. Like, I'm trying to think of a good example. You know, it's like, um, uh, we just pray for brother John's leg, his right leg. You know, it's like, well, what would happen <laughs> if like God touched his left leg? Would it fall off because it was the right it's leg that was her? Or yeah, I, you know, that's a silly example. I can't think of something, but I'm sure people listening along, and I'm sure you can think of examples of where people are like, oh, well, let, let's clarify that prayer in case like what somehow God destroys the world accidentally, or right. he's still got some semblance of control here. Um, yeah, he's not like a mindless puppet that has to do exactly what you say. And if you've said something terrible, well, um. God can't do anything but what you said. Right. Like, it's weird. It's weird. So even to go back to what you were saying, I, I agree. And I would say, like, we shouldn't say negative things and it's not great to, you know, talk about being sick all the time or whatever. But that might be more of the example of saying, come Holy Spirit, where you might be saying something just a little off. And I could mm -hmm. agree with you and we've probably been the same page. Not great to talk about, you know, negative things. Okay. How do you respond as a conversationalist? That's kind of was my focus. I was always bummed conversationally. Yeah. By if I said, oh, I have a scratchy throat and somebody goes, oh, and starts snapping and doing something odd. And we reject that. 
instead of maybe there's a more conversational way. Right. And snapping is a cultural thing in some streams of Christianity. It is. Yeah, yeah. You, and you got to snap a certain amount of times. Do, do, do mm-hmm. you actually have you come across this? Because I remember I when I was at Bethel, like there were people that like you had to snap like an odd amount, an even amount didn't work. That might be just an OCD thing. That's a whole, yeah, right? I mean, that's a whole level of bizarre. Uh, because God's sitting there going, wait, Gabriel, was that like 21 or 22 snaps? Like, exactly. I don't know. I'm, I lost count. And I mean, do we kill them or do we heal them? I mean, I don't know. That's like, one thing I learned, though, is um, if you want to disarm the power of the devil, just snap. He hates snapping. Gosh, I, I kind of hate snapping, which leads me to what? question my identity. Um, but... Um, but no, so so my focus, I guess, right now in this conversation and what, what I've been thinking about is more how, how do we deal with people conversationally now? Because if that's that, that's kind of an in-house thing that we're getting yeah. very nuanced. This, we can broaden this up in a second here. But that's a nuanced thing between believers in a school of ministry or a certain stream of Christianity. Yeah. But if we're talking like that amongst ourselves, there's a good chance that many people are talking like that with people outside the, the, the church culture. Yeah. How are we assuming we're going to relate to people, um, communicate our ideas and our message and ourselves well to people if we're shutting down conversations, we're policing people, the unbeliever comes in and goes, oh, my arm kind of hurts. We go, I reject that and we snap. Well, they're going to think you might be odd at best, right? Um, But if we know how to communicate really well, I think we can be very effective relational people and, you know, sharing our message, right? Yeah. I think this is huge. I think it's like, um, it's that whole Pascal's wager thing. It's about uh, allowing the other person to have room to speak, to share, to, to be wrong, even. I don't mind right. if you're wrong, but just share, talk, be you, right. and, and I can be me in this conversation, in this in- interaction. Um, because what you see again and again and again is, in, especially in Christianity, we're really quick to shut down conversations, right? So, um, I just finished today, just finished filming my module on homosexuality, right? A conversation. Don't, don't, don't talk about that. Conversation, exactly, that we don't talk about. You, you know, let's just ignore this one at best. At worst, we just go on tirades and preach about it in really unhelpful ways. But, you know, at best, we just go, oh, let's just ignore this and move on quickly. Um, but mm-hmm. what's interesting about it, right? You have a believer comes to you and says, oh, you know, I've been looking at this and thinking about it. And, you know, I, I think it's not as black and white as people think. And what, what typically do people do? They go, well, the Bible clearly says. And it's like, well, I don't know what to do with that now. You, you've shut down the conversation. Rather ah. than say, what, what would happen? What would that conversation look like if instead of saying the Bible clearly says, you said, how do you read the Bible then? How do you read some of these passages? Could you explain like the process you've been through and how you've come to those terms and how you've read it? Because now we're having a healthy conversation and I might learn. And the truth is, I might not change. I'm probably not going to change my opinion. I'm going to believe what I believe. Very rarely do you change your opinion just like that. But what's going to happen is if I'm so cemented in my truth that I don't let anyone else interact with me, I'm never going to grow. I'm never going to learn. You know, like same with like people that say things that you think are maybe unhelpful. And it's like, oh. Why do you say that? Like, what would have happened? That conversation could have gone on for quite a bit longer, right? If that person shut you down and was like, no, you, you know, God planned my trip. And you'd be like, oh, could you tell me more about it? Like, how did God plan your trip for you? And maybe this he would tell you some really cool aggressive in our example, by the way. But, uh, <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> this person's gotten a lot more aggressive in, in our example yeah. now. Like, <laughs> no, of course. Now, yeah, no, I mean, that conversation could have probably gone on a lot further. I, it, it just bumped me, right? And it's yeah. like, are we yeah. kind of bumping people the wrong way sometimes by by telling, you know, by changing the way that we have to talk and correcting people's language and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I guess this is the two sides of the coin I'm talking about. One, 
is saying, you know, not saying the wrong thing, right? We don't want to be saying the wrong thing. But then if people are saying things a little off, a little wrong, how do we deal with that in a way that's still, you know, understandable and and loving and all that, you know? Yeah. Well, and especially because there's a big spectrum to what's wrong, right? So they can say, you know, whatever, come on, and you're like, at the end of the day, it's maybe hurting you at most, right? In that conversation or whatever, Ah, whatever, right? But they can also say, uh, I don't know, I reject Jesus Christ came in the flesh and is, right. and I worship Lord Satan. You know, it's like, okay, yeah. that's, I mean, it's a ridiculous example, but see, it's right. the other end somewhere sure. over there on the spectrum, exactly. right? And it's like, okay, so maybe there's more severity to certain statements or certain beliefs or certain um, well, things that well, come up know, in a conversation I, as well. This is great. If somebody comes into your church, if somebody comes into your life and says, well, I'm an atheist and I hate the church, uh, you know, do you go, do you snap? Do you, do you go, well, mm-hmm. I reject that notion? Or do you say, Oh, wow. Interesting. Uh, I'd love to hear more about your journey or, you know, just start using good communication techniques to open up the conversation, not to get awkward and, uh, you know, condemning it all. Not that people intentionally are condemning, but uh, subconsciously, a lot of times our language can um, be a little standoffish, you know, and put up walls instead of opening up, um, you know, pathways. So big time. You know, it's an interesting uh, the example that jumps to mind when you say that mm-hmm. is, um, you know, Pete Rollins, right? You've heard of Pete Rollins. Mm-hmm. He's um, mm-hmm. like a philosopher, theologian. Um, he's friends with uh, Rob Bell and a few other uh, people oh. in that kind of group. Um, he he has an activity that he does um, out on the streets with some people that follow him called um, I can't remember what they call it, but basically it's a, it, it, in, in general terms, they call it evangelizing. Um, but it's not that they go to atheists and Muslims and try and get them to get saved. Mm-hmm. Um, they, of course, would love those people to meet Jesus. That, that, that they're not, it's not they don't want that to happen either, but that's not their goal. Their goal is they go to those people and say, what do you think about me? What do you think about my faith? What do you think mm-hmm. about my religion? Um, and so they go to a Muslim and they say, how has my faith influenced your life? How has my religion affected you? Um, an atheist, you know, what, what, what do you say about the God I profess? And like, what do you say about that person? And what's interesting is they allow the other person to speak into their life. Um, and actually it creates a lot of opportunity for them to share. Well, actually, this is what I believe. And this is how I, how I, where I come from. So it, it doesn't uh, actually, uh, prevent the gospel being shared in many ways, but actually the core okay. element is it's coming to the whole conversation with, I can learn something from you. I can, I can actually, um, grow. Um, God can speak to me through this encounter. Um, so right. when an atheist comes into your church, instead of going, oh, they're just going to cause, you know, whatever, you have to think, well, why did they come anyway? Maybe you have to cause absolute chaos, but maybe actually because they're interested in what's going on. They want to have some helpful conversations, interesting conversations. Sure. Um, and so you go, well, how can this person lead me to a deeper relationship with Christ? And how can I develop a relationship with this person? Right. Is that a bad thing? Even if all that happens is you develop a loving relationship with this person, um, right. That doesn't go anywhere. They don't even get saved. Truly, on some level, loving them well, showing them Christ is a helpful, beautiful thing um, right. that's worth doing. Um, I mean, a, a good conversation or a bad conversation could dictate what, what they think of the church or at least that church and, and the people absolutely. in that community. You know, sometimes that's all it takes is having a good conversation or a bad conversation. And they go home with their spouse that dragged them there. And they mm-hmm. go, the spouse says, hey, what do you think of church? I met this really cool guy. You know, we had a great chat. Or if you you just shut them down and you use odd mm. language, you're just not reading your audience, so to speak. It could be like those the people were weird, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I think the thing in this particular conversation I'm really trying to emphasize is not right and wrong viewpoints and not, you know, getting too caught off in that. It's how do we communicate with people and are we doing it in an effective way? Your example was really great. Um, somebody that says, well, the Bible clearly says, you know, 
period, end of story, that's a conversation uh, closer. That shuts mm-hmm. down conversations. It does not allow for meaningful you know, um, communication back and forth. And maybe that's what they want to do, shut it down. Or somebody that just says their go-to is, well, God told me. And what do you say to God? Oh, told that's the that's worst, big... isn't it? Because <laughs> God told them. So what, do you know better than God? Yeah. Well, actually, uh, God's wrong. So you right. know, are you going to say that? <laughs> it, it really limits the conversation. It doesn't yeah. allow for much room there. So yeah. just things like that that we need to be mindful of sometimes. Um, all of us, you know, what yeah, do we well, do? And we can do that ourselves. I, I'm very guilty of, um, you know, I remember when we, going back to Bethel days again, Chris Fallaton, uh, the mm-hmm. kind of the prophet of the house, he would talk about when you feel you're sharing from God, you can say, I feel that God said mm-hmm. to me, um, Perfect. you know, I, I, I felt God say this, um, right. doesn't mean God necessarily said it. It's, 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 right. it's, it's adding a human element to this whole equation because right. the simple fact of the matter is every person on this planet is going to subjectivize God on some level. So mm. when God speaks, we're all going to, I mean, I could have the same conversation I'm having with you, Dan, I could have with someone else mm-hmm. and they would hear it totally different because they're mm. a different human being. You sure. know, each person listening to this podcast is going to hear you and me differently than we are hearing each other because we have a, a deeper right. relationship maybe than a lot of the people that are listening to the podcast. Right. Um, and so there's that equation, uh, that's element into it. And, and I think we all can do that really easy because it's just language, right? It's just right. throwaway statements. And, um, and I'm really conscious of how often I fall into that trap. I do it a lot. I really do. Mm. Um, like I've been very aware actually when filming this topic about homosexuality, I'm just very, mm. the more I've read about different perspectives, different people, reading about a lot of people and how they've experienced the church, how they've experienced uh, different statements and phrases and, um, you know, statements that we use that can be really damaging and unhelpful. Um, mm. but they're just common statements within Christianity. Right. And so, and so I, I found myself, even when filming, I'll be halfway through saying something and I'm like, nope, I take that back. Sorry. <laughs> Habit. I'm actually meant this, you know, or, uh, and so I think we do it all the time and it's just training ourselves to try and rein that in. But totally. I think that's, it's, it's this, the speck and the plank thing, isn't it? It's like, let's, let's deal with our language. Let's deal with how we perceive things, how we uh, communicate things before we start policing anyone else. Um, and if we have that attitude, we'll probably never get around to the policing anyone else. Right. Um, right. Because we've got a lot to busy ourselves with making right. sure we, we manage our own tongues. Um, right. Yeah. It's fascinating. So, um, what do you, what, what's your heart in this? What's your heart in, um, in handling this kind of language communication? Or, or, or I guess, what do you see the negative side effects of this happening within the body of Christ? Like, what, what is it actually, what's the knock on effects here? Like, what do you actually think are the, the downsides rather than just like, oh, conversations get shut down every now and again or whatever? Like, yeah. is there a bigger, broader, like, implication. I think so. Here, here's, and we can talk about this next. I, I think it'd be fascinating. Um, I guess I'm a millennial, which would mean you're a millennial, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, millennials are um, a big part of uh, society now, um, everywhere yeah. from, you know, just shaping culture and all that. So in my church in particular, and I'm not sure about your church, but in the church in general, millennials are nowhere to be found right. in the church. I mean, I just yeah. look around my church and like, they're gone. That whole people group, Whoop. and you're you're prophetically hiding. Okay, there we go. Nope, just gonna take this guy off. <laughs> um, so where are they, and mm. why are they in the church? You know, and does communication, does um, 
our personality as a church culture? Does that have something to do with that? Mm. Um, why would millennials be choosing to basically in droves leave the church building? You mm-hmm. know, um, have you noticed that trend as well? Yeah, big time. Big time. Right. Like I would say that our community here locally, we have a thriving group of uh, millennials. It's such a broad topic, uh, term millennials anyway, I guess. But like, yeah, like young adults, you know, people in their sure. um, late teens, early 20s, all through to maybe early 30s, mid 30s even. Um, we've got a lot of people in that age bracket. Very few of them have much of an interest of going to the church on a Sunday mm-hmm. and doing uh, traditional church services. But what's interesting is they are very interested in pursuing the way of Jesus, following Jesus, interacting and having a relationship with Jesus, uh, connecting with one another, fellowshiping with one another, discussing theological, you know, philosophical ideas, you know, actually practically working out their faith, maybe going and loving the poor. And uh, like they're really invested in all of this stuff, but they have right. no real interest in going to a church, shaking a hand at the door going sitting down, watching a sermon, singing some songs, and then heading home, um, not something that really interests them. Um, I have I have a graph here, uh, if you want me to read it real quick, from Barna. Oh, please. You know, Barna's yeah. the, the big statistician within the church community. So millennials at church, this just came out maybe a year ago or so. Um, here's um, millennials that don't go to church, their reasons why. 39% say they find God elsewhere, okay? Wow. 30 Five percent of them say it's not relevant to me at all. So more than one third, 31 percent say it's boring. Twenty percent say it feels like God is missing from church. Eight percent, it's out of date. And four percent, I don't like the people. So it's not necessarily that they don't like the people. Um, It's mostly that it's not relevant and it's boring and they can find God elsewhere. Now, Mm. here's an interesting um, the other side of it. Uh, millennials that do go to church, why? 44% go to be closer to God, quote unquote. That's interesting. Wow. 27% to learn about God. 22% the Bible says to go. 13% my kids are there. My kids learn about God there. 8% the church does good work. And 5% my friends. They're not even going for the friends. So the bottom tier of both sides is the people now, the two things on the, the why they go to church side that really strike me is 44% to be closer to God and 22% because the Bible says to go. That opens up a whole other can of worms. That's as a to, huge can of worms, isn't it? It's, it's just that they feel like they have to go right. if yeah. they want to in with God, you wow. know. And then on the other side of the coin, the 40% say they find God elsewhere, right? Yeah, so. which is a huge thing. And, and it's the thing that I'm experiencing more and more. And as I travel and go to different churches, and you've experienced this a bit when we've traveled together and we've talked to um, different people of that age. And we've also talked to pastors and concerned parents and grandparents and all asking this question of where are the millennials? Where are they going? Yep. What are we going to do? Um, the overwhelming response from millennials is this just doesn't, I, I just don't get it. Like it's, it's not... I think that phrase, it's not relevant, is really interesting, right? Because the boring part, right? That's where a lot of the churches are trying to deal with. And so you see the churches that kick up like a, they've got a smoke machine, a great band and a coffee shop in the foyer, you know? Right. That's, we're trying to make it more relevant. 
if they want to go to freaking coffee, they'll go to Starbucks. They don't need to right. a ch- coffee shop in church to make it. Accept- yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? They could go to a coffee shop. If they want good music, they'll go see a gig or something. Trust me, it's way right. better music than what you get in an average church, right? right. I mean, duh. Um, and so, like, you know, that's not relevant. That's not what right. makes it relevant. Some better right. music might, might help a few people. But sure. but I think that term relevance, it's been made to the boredom part. You know, it's like, let's make it a bit more lively and entertaining. But I think the relevance is actually much more connected to um, how we interact with gods, where we find gods. And and I think this, this uh, generation has been taught to find gods in... Um, in their questions, in their pursuit, in their thinking, in their uh, in their conversations, in in one another, um, I, I think it's, it's it's a very different um, way of thinking than the prior generations. Which probably um, those other millennials that go to church so I can get closer to God, so I can uh, learn about God's because God told me to. Um, I think like that's just a totally different way of thinking. So I think first of all. It's really dangerous to broad stroke millennials in the same way it's really dangerous to broad stroke any group of people, right? You can just get right. yourself into real messes creating a caricature. That, that study shows that there are very different people who right. are millennials, right? There's the ones that go, I find God in a coffee shop with my friends. And there's one going, I need to go to church to find God. And actually, I don't feel that close to him in the week. Which is enough coffee shops with my friends, right? Which um, is a problem in and totally of itself. Different. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, I would say that that statement about why people are going to church terrifies me more than the statements of why people aren't. I agree with the reasons they aren't. I'm like, yeah, I get it. If you're finding thoughts in the people around you, in community, and having meals with other believers, that sounds wonderful. You do you. That sounds healthy. If you're going to church so you can try and somehow get closer to God and you're not feeling close to God throughout the week, and you yeah. only go to church because the Bible tells you to go. That was striking to that's some really scary stuff. That that highlights much more unhealthy uh, Christian relationship than the person that goes, no, I'm, I'm meeting with God in my everyday. That I seems agree. like really healthy. That's some Zen right. stuff right there, right? But Christian <laughs> Zen, you know, it's like right. I'm aware of God all the time. I'm, I'm right. connecting him in other places. Um, and I'm not saying every millennial is in that place either by any means. I think of we're course. all on a journey of figuring out how to... I got a couple other stats here from the the next younger generation. The the next generation would be Generation Z. Um, And they did, Barna did a study this year from Generation Z years, ages 13 to 18. So here's what they said. Mm. Um, Church is not relevant to me personally. 59% Generation Z years, ages 13 to 18, said that church is not relevant to them personally. um, Compare that to 64% of non-Christians said the same thing. That's why they don't go to church. I find God elsewhere. 48% of Generation Zers, so half basically, say they find God elsewhere. 43% of atheists said the same thing. I can teach myself what I need to know. 28% of Generation Zers. Um, And then it goes down from there. Church rituals are empty. 12%. That's not a huge thing. I don't like the people. 15%. Not a huge thing. It's out of date. 20%. So Mm. the biggest thing, Generation Z, Millennials, not relevant they find god somewhere else so you know take that for what it is how are we communicating to to that people group which is a a incredibly large people group if you compare all youth and all young adults that are millennials that's Mm -hmm. a lot of people and it's if you take that people group right out of the church which which is what i'm seeing that's that's a 
That's a big thing, right? Yeah, it's a massive exodus. Like the church in 50 years is going to be empty. You know, it's going to be that awkward, like empty salon with the swinging doors. Or, you know, it's, just, it's, it's awkward, <laughs> you know, there's just no one there. Just a few dying millennials that had to go because the Bible told them, or, you know, like, and that's about <laughs> exactly. it. Um, but they're, they're going to be somewhere and they're going to be hungry yeah. to hear about God and talk about God mm-hmm. and, and all that. Maybe more than any other generation, because millennials, in my experience and generations years, they're, they have questions. They're, mm-hmm. they're deep thinkers. They're not robotic. They, I mean, in some ways you could say they, they're swayed by culture easily, um, again, to paint a broad brush, but a lot of them really, uh, try to think deeply about social issues, yep. philosophical yep. issues, religious issues. Um, it's not that they have no thoughts about these things. It's just, they're not being, their interest isn't being stirred up in the church community you know in church yeah and i think as well you you know we talk about um you know millennials and gen z being like easily swayed by culture but the simple fact is since the dawn of man we have been easily swayed by culture right Everybody. i mean that is that is what adam did when he interacted with eve and it's how she got interacted by his thing but right from Everybody, the beginning we yeah. have been and, and we're all doing it right so you, we look at you know a millennial might read a good article online and you know be swayed by it but the truth is mm-hmm. You were persuaded by watching a convincing news article on or a news presentation on TV 20 years ago or, you know, by something a politician said or something about your pastor said. So the just the means of how you were swayed culturally has changed. Mm, maybe That's right. Um, and, it, and it can happen much quicker because we've got more access. But I think that's really interesting is um, those Gen Z's saying, I can teach myself. And what's that's interesting the... is when you look at the millennials who go to church, one of the biggest things they said was to learn about God. I think that was mm. the third one, right? It was like, so I can learn about God, so I can find out about God. And so they go to church because they need to be told, mm-hmm. right? Which is the old model. Because I think if you go back further to an older generation, even more people would say that. Mm-hmm. More people would say, yeah, that's why I go to yeah, church. I so the pastor that. can teach us about God. Oh. And I can go to Bible studies and we can learn more. And, you know, I want to learn and, and know more. Um, and, and some of the millennials are holding on to that. But as, as we go further down, I think more and more... Um, People are realizing, wait, it's kind of crazy to go and listen to one person's view, especially because that's the model for most churches is a teaching pastor that teaches every week. You know, it's not like you have a new person teaching every single week. It's something that we try and do locally. We're trying to have different people teach every week and it's really fun. Um, But like people are starting to realize, wait, that's crazy. I can go online and get 20 different views, weigh them all up, compare them, fact check them. I can cross analyze them. I can look at the pros and cons of each. I can look at respected scholars or um, statisticians or whatever and how they input. And, and, you know, an average 15 year old can do this better than most adults because they have all the tools at their hand like that. Most adults learn to do this by, um, you know, trusting journalism, which you can't really trust to the same degree anymore, um, or by uh, going to the library or, you know, some some accessible, trustworthy source, but actually haven't learned to do the same thing today. And so it's really common for young people to go, well, I can quickly fact check what my pastor said and realize, actually, that's only one of 12 views. And actually, it's not even the better view. I'd say it's maybe top four. Um, and I prefer this, this, and this view before I even get to the pastor's view. And the pastor goes, uh, I don't know what to do with that. Right. Because that's not the model. The model is not, you can believe something different. The model is, I just told you the truth. And now you're saying there's other truths. Um, right. Which I think is a big, big issue. To even, um, emphasize this once again, to kind of like really hone down and maybe the point I'm, I'm focused on or just the thought I'm focused on, um, it's not about a a model being right or wrong or the preacher Mm. being right or wrong. It's about, well, what speaks to the Gen Zers, the millennials that are leaving the church? Like it's just that whole group is gone. So 
um, maybe you are preaching the truth, maybe you're preaching all you know the right things, and you're a great preacher. But if it's not communicating well to them, then mm-hmm. it's it's not going to work for them. You know. Yeah. So Inherently, not- we're all selfish, right? Right. At the end of the day, like we we can try and be as selfless as we like, and in Christ, we 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 have um, the capacity to be selfless and, and to to live selflessly. But ultimately, our core base, our our from the DNA up, you know, we are we we have a selfish desire to survive. To 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 we we operate the entire world we see through our lens, through our perspective, and right. we are the main guy in our play. You know, like in our right. movie. We're the first person built. Um, right. And most people are just random person four in coffee shop. You know, you don't really don't <laughs> care about them. Um, but like, um, you know, we, we do have that kind of um, selfish outlook. And any pastor that thinks otherwise is kidding himself. And so mm. um, I think we have to genuinely go, what is driving this person? So what makes, you know, it's irrelevant. It's boring. It's whatever. Okay, so what is driving them? What are they looking for? And if you're not asking that question and finding the answer, like you're saying, it doesn't matter if what you're doing is right or true. If it's right. not helpful to that person, they won't engage with it. Um, right. You know, you can have the best soup kitchen and that's the most wonderful thing to do because God said, you know, you feed me when you feed a homeless person. Right. That is something you are actively doing, feeding God when you feed a homeless Great thing to do. But guess what? If you're in a college campus working with you know 20 year olds who are all living in dorms and have three meals a day and they're you know learning all sorts of stuff in in their college and they're starting to like be confused about what they believe about god putting on a soup kitchen every night isn't going to help them right right so you have to stop and go wait i am in the wrong community here i need to go down to skid row or something and we need to get something set up here that is like you know actually going to so what is it it's probably not a sermon every week it's actually probably a place where people can talk and discuss these things they're learning and they can have some healthy mentors in there to help guide them and lead them and um and so you've got to be thinking about that yeah exactly and that's just i mean that's timeless truth that's obvious you know it is that's really obvious um and yet i think we forget it a lot um mm. and so and maybe we or maybe we look at it on a on a level with what works best with what i do so that's why i think a lot yep. of churches are going oh my audience oh yeah they're the ones that walk into church 10 minutes late with a cup of coffee well if i had a coffee shop in the foyer i know i make fun of that mm-hmm. but, and I'm like it's cool whatever like you could do that right. it's great but if i do that well then my church will be relevant right because that's what they're right. all about having a coffee and i'm like Dude, if you think that person's life revolves around coffee, like you missed the point. Maybe you've made their life a bit easier. Maybe they might be five minutes late instead of ten minutes late. But <laughs> the truth is, you've not you've not scratched where they're itching. You know, the, mm. their their real itch is going to be something much deeper. But that's compatible because I can still do exactly the same church service but have a coffee at the beginning or the end. Right. Or I can have exactly the same model of church service. I just have slightly more mm. upbeat music. Um, right. But like when I say, okay, have a different person preach every single week and have some of these millennials that don't know what they're believing and are questioning, have them preach some of the weeks. Right. Pastors crap themselves when you say that because Mm. it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not the model. This is not, it isn't compatible with how I do things. And it is scary. It is confusing. Or I go, well, why don't you, after you preach, have it open, preach half the time you do and then spend the other half taking questions. No questions are wrong. Any question accepted. A lot right. of pastors are fine with that. Most pastors freak out because they're not ready to field questions on the spot. And I, and I get that. It's a scary thing. I do that a lot. And it's it's quite a hard thing to get be ready, have an answer for everything all the time. But sure. most of the time, I think people are scared because some of their answers are going to have to be, I don't know. 
Right. That's not the model of the pastor in today's Western church. The model mm. of the pastor in today's Western church is, I know. Right. And so as soon as they're forced to say, I don't know, their whole world kind of crumbles. Um, yeah. That's actually what I think most millennials are looking for, is they're looking for a pastor that's willing to say, I don't know. Because it yeah. validates some of the things they don't know. I think they're looking for conversation. I mean, not to just keep bringing it back to that, but conversation to be heard, right? A lot mm-hmm. of millennials have viewpoints. They want to be heard and they, or they at least want to get their questions and their thoughts out there to somebody. Um, it's interesting. I was listening to a podcast just recently and they're interviewing Dr. Drew, um, who's a doctor. Um, he was doing a case study or maybe even like a pilot or something where they brought like dozens of millennials in and um, him as a doctor uh, and was uh, interviewing them. And the thing he was really struck by coming out of that um, situation was they millennials typically in his experience in this case felt like they knew more than he did about a lot of things. And they, wow. they had a lot of thoughts, lots and lots of thoughts. Mm. They didn't want to hear from him as much as they wanted to tell him their thoughts. Now, again, going back to the church, that could be annoying for a pastor. It could be different in the culture but if that's where they're at where they have lots of thoughts they think they know a lot of things they want to share those things or they have a lot of doubts even Mm -hmm. how can we how do we facilitate that do we just say we don't like it and allow them to leave do we just you know kind of part ways and say well since you think you know so much and you don't like the structure of the church you know whatever go do your own thing go do your own thing We'll, we'll keep doing the same thing over and over um, you know, what do we do with that? So again, it's not like I'm trying to say, well, one group is right and one group is wrong. Yeah. Look how bad the church is. I'm just saying, are we aware of this? Are yeah. we aware of how we communicate and, and the impact it has on other people, you know? Yeah. So, and I think something that pastors and leaders, um, forget is that most of their young people have a bigger audience than they do. Mm. On so social media, the, maybe, this, yeah. this 14, 15 year old kids that you think, oh, look at this idiot, you know, and like, who cares really? Or, you know, whatever you're thinking, you know, maybe you don't think so negatively. Maybe you're like, oh, this lovely kid, but like, you sure. know, he's, he's not got room to make a statement. I'm supposed to be teaching him that hmm. he might have like, you know, a YouTube channel with 2000 people on it. I don't know. Um, yeah. he might be like, you know, doing all sorts, but, but the thing is young people are taught, um, for right or wrong. Uh, I think there's probably pros and cons to it as a whole, um, that they have a voice. Um, mm-hmm. that they are free to share their voice on their platform, that they build their platform, however that looks. And, and some of them do spend time developing that, investing in that. Um, and the truth is a lot of them have got something to say. They, they do have a lot to say because they have put the hours into study, into research, and to, to have an opinion on something. Probably not to the degree that Dr. Drew does in a specific area. Absolutely. Sure. But they probably know more on Minecraft than Dr. Drew. Or, I don't know. You know right. what I mean? But like, sure. but some of these people are studying and, and learning about different things and they want to share. They want to have a voice. Um, and so when they have a question, they equally, they want to share. They want to have a voice. They want to get it out there. They want to discuss. Yeah. They want to share different concepts, ideas, possibilities. Um, and I think the more that you create room for that, the more you see a cohesion of a group. It's, it's actually the opposite of what I think a lot of us um, have traditionally thought. Traditionally, it's the more views out there, the more fragmented the church will become. But actually, I think the church of the next generation, the more views that are allowed, the more cohesive the church is going to mm. become. Um, wow. And I think we're currently, um, I think the church today is in the middle of a split of that. We're moving from a church that gathers around agreeing to a church that's going to gather around disagreement. Um, mm. Not in like, you know, like Jesus was the son of God or we follow Jesus. Sure. I think we'll all be on some level or another following the person of Jesus, pursuing relationship with Jesus. But I think 
there has to be room when people are able to to look into these things and come to different conclusions. There has to be room for them to to coexist. Yeah. Um, and in yesterday's model, um, uh, it's probably not fair for me to say yesterday's, but today's model maybe isn't going to work as well for where people are at. And I think the model of tomorrow, um, it has to be at least a mix, um, mm. if not shifting slowly towards a more diverse uh, group ecosystem, however you might Makes look at it. total sense to me, yeah. Um, but that's a hard one to do, and it's a hard one to balance because you do have different generations. And I don't, I don't know if I like you know hard line, you know, because I know you, what's interesting is I've been in a lot of groups that would categorize as this kind of like um, diverse views and different things like that. And actually, the majority of them, believe it or not, are over fifty. Hmm. Um, I went to I went to a Rob Bell uh, conference a couple of months ago, and there was about seven hundred people in the room, which I was amazed because it was in the middle of nowhere. Seven hundred hmm. people in the room, awesome, really cool. Now Rob Bell is he's in this group, right? He's he's a bit out there. He's um, he's a bit more liberal, progressive. You know, he's seeing the Bible differently. He's come to different conclusions about different things. So he's a bit out there. You know, I would right. if I was going to peg anyone as a Rob Bell follower in my head, I'd be picking. Um, you know, the 20 something with the hip, hipster glasses and the tweed jacket or whoever you picture, like the perfect, you know, picture of this millennial. And I would say at least 80%, probably higher. I'm being very generous here. We're over 50. Right. And I couldn't believe it. But then I was like, of course, like this makes a lot of sense. Um, mm. because you, it's almost a full circle. You live long enough and you're forced into mm. this situation of one or the other. So you, you're forced into going, actually, is this working for me? And for a lot of people, it does. But for a huge portion of the church, you hit 50 and you don't, you have a lot less cares to give. You know, you, mm. you start, you start realizing, actually, I don't really care what other people think. Is this right. actually working or not? And a right. whole bunch of people have hit this wall and gone, this doesn't work for me either. Um, and so actually, it's, it seems to be the people in the middle um, that are struggling more than the people at either end of the spectrum. And I'm not saying 50 year olds are old by any means either. Right. You know, I mean, You've got a long way to go if you're 50, um, which is exciting as well if you're coming into a new way of seeing things and things like that. Um, but yeah, I, 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 so I, I just want to say that so that people don't think we're just saying, oh, so millennials are the future and that's what's going to look like and that's that and sure. everyone else is just going to slowly die off like the dinosaurs. I, like, I'm not, not saying that by any means. And I think that people fall into these categories um, from, from each of the categories. They can fall into some of these different um, elements. But right. I think on ge in general, these terms are somewhat helpful. We're, we're talking in generalities because it's a helpful way to, to communicate. You know, yeah. even the stats we read, it wasn't 100 percent this, 100 percent that. It was exactly. you know, 33, 40 percent, 25. So in general, these are things that are going on. And just my eye test in general, when I go church to church or even in my own church and there's no real group of youth, young adults, millennials, mm -hmm. I'm just seeing something and talking to people, you know, my peers, my friends, they're telling me things. So it's more of an observation, but it's like the Psalms, like kind of general uh, not Psalms, Proverbs, right. general statements that, you know, um, and again, uh, if somebody's listening and, and, you know, they think we're being too wishy-washy or too general, I mean, again, that, maybe that's the way, I, I guess I'm a millennial, so maybe that's the way some millennials think, <laughs> just a little more like that. And a lot of churches, you know, can be black or white. Well, no, mm -hmm. no, no, this is how we think. No, 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 you're wrong. Millennials aren't leaving the church. That's it. And if, yeah. you know, if that's the background of a church or your personality to be black or white, we're really not seeing things in black and white anymore in the culture, you know, especially, especially yeah. in general, the younger culture, right? Who was talking about that? Richard Rohr? 
Mm-hmm. We were yep. listening to Rick Warren a podcast. A podcast about. And, you know, he was talking about the dualistic mindset, right? Yeah. And um, actually, do you want to share on that real quick to kind of summarize? Oh, um, sure. I mean, like, but it's kind of platonic thinking. It comes from kind of a lot of um, Greco-Roman thinking where things became a lot more black and white. So before um, the Greek kind of worldview took over the main view of most of the world, the Western world, certainly, people were much more um, nuanced in their thought. They, they saw like a lot of uh, mishmash and gray in the world. And then through Greco-Roman kind of thinking, we became a lot more black and white. It's either on, off, yes, no, black, white, um, you know, hell, heaven, saved, not saved. You know, right. these are really clear-cut, simple, defined terms. Homosexuality is wrong or right. Um, you know, whatever it looks like. You know, right. we want some nice, hard lines. Right. And I know I can see when someone steps over that line. And um, there is an us then. I think that's basically what a lot of this dualism boils down to is the right. inner needs to belong. Um, and so when we belong, uh, Brene Brown's got some good um, stuff on belonging and, and being um, part of something. And, and um, in, an, in a sense, the need to belong means that other people need not to belong. So you mm. need people to be outsiders for you to feel part of something. Um, and so I feel great as a Christian because there's people that aren't Christians, right? I'm excited about going to heaven because in a sense, there's a hell that I've avoided and there's a hell that other people are going to. Um, and that might seem simplistic and some people might say that's not what I'm doing. And maybe maybe that, that's not what you're doing. Um, although I would challenge a lot of the time it's um, subconscious stuff. And so we, we maybe don't know as much of what's motivating us. Um, but yeah, I think we, we, we have a very black and white um, worldview and the church certainly is still very ingrained in this black and white um we, we really need things to be nice hard divide line in the middle wait on this decision are you at us or them are you with me or are you against me um yeah um i have like a couple points are we are we kind of wrapping up at this point or we can't do i mean we can go however long you've got really but yeah, a couple other thoughts I have. Um, just to, something I thought about recently too. Um, that goes along with this. I, I was at my house one time, and a pastor um, friend of mine, who I really loved, um, great guy, came over to visit. I happened to be playing a podcast of a like a more reformed Christian um, thinker and you know kind of person. And this guy was more non-denominational, charismatic, whatever. And it was just a small interaction, but it's it's kind of an example of a lot of thought in the church sometimes. He came over and he heard the the guy and he said, oh, who's that? And I said, oh, it's a, kind of a reformed thinker and this and that. Somebody that's different from maybe how I would normally think. And the guy goes, ooh, that's dangerous. Right? <laughs> yeah. Rub, rub me the wrong way. Oh, mm-hmm. are you there? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Rub me the wrong way in the sense that... Um, it's like, oh, it's dangerous to to listen to somebody that thinks differently than us, right? That's the really imp- scary, actually. Thought, if, like, if we're honest. Yeah, and this is from one of the greatest people I have ever met, you know. And this, mm. but it's just kind of a per- pervasive, you know, way of thinking in the church. It seems to me, again, to talk in general generalizations, that you don't listen to reform people if you're charismatic. You don't listen to charismatic if you're reformed. You don't mm. listen to a a Muslim, if you're Christian, you don't listen to an atheist, you know, you, an atheist doesn't listen to a Christian. Like we draw these hard lines. Like, why would we want to listen to somebody that thinks differently than us? Yeah. But think yeah. about that thought for a second, how dangerous that is. Utterly terrifying. Terrifying. Right. I, that right. terrifies me more than anything. It, it, you know, it seems, are we just looking to live a life full of confirmation bias? Is that really our goal is to only listen to people that think exactly like us? 
And I think subconsciously, um, most people design their lives like that. They watch Fox News because that's how they think. They don't watch CNN. They listen to, you know, their own particular stream of Christianity podcast, not anything outside of that nuanced language and stream of Christianity. You can talk to Christian people, not atheists, yada, yada. It's a really, you know, it's just a small interaction, but I have other, you know, we, we encounter yeah. interactions yeah. like that all the time, right? We probably, tell me this, you probably don't tell a lot of Christians who you read, who you've listened to, who you've mm -hmm. talked to yep. in certain contexts because you don't want that reaction of them going, oh, well, they're this. Why would you? I've had that happen. I've Oh, absolutely. Yep. I've had a pastor ask me, uh, what's the last book you read? And at that time, it happened to be Rob Bell. So I said it was Rob Bell, Love Wins. I wasn't saying I loved the book. I agree with everything Rob Bell said. It was an interesting book to me. I wanted to read it. So I read it. The pastor did not like that reaction because we do not read people that are slightly outside right. of our stream of nuanced thinking. How dangerous is that? Could it be dangerous? I guess. But, you know, um, it's more dangerous to never listen to somebody Absolutely. that disagrees with you than to Absolutely. just... You know, it's crazy. It's, it's terrifying. And, and this is what I, I say all the time over and over and over. And this is the, the very foundation I built the Grace Course on was... Um, mm. questions are good question everything everything okay. because right. um whatever you question it's a pursuit of truth so when you mm. question something you go well is that true that's basically the underlying question and so i don't care whether it's is jesus divine did he come in the flesh or eh, do i have to tithe i you know from the whole spectrum right if you question truth the holy spirit leads us to truth Right? right. Jesus is the truth. Like a relationship with Jesus, pursuing it with Holy Spirit will lead you to truth. So if you're willing to question what you believe, either it's right and you'll mm -hmm. find out that it's right and you'll have a more informed way of communicating what's right. You'll know some of the different arguments that different people say and go, right. well, that's why that's wrong. And that's why that's wrong. And this is why I'm right. So there's right. nothing to lose in that regard. Or you go, oh, crap, I'm believing a whole bunch of stuff that's wrong. I better change what right. I believe. That's even better, right? That's even right. better to realize you believe right. something wrong and now you can be right. I mean, way right. better. I mean, it's a bit of a, a painful, you know, like you gotta, you gotta take a hard medicine, you know, you, you gotta yeah. eat the medicine. It's, it's, I'm trying to think of the right analogy, but like it's painful. It's painful to get up and go, oh, yeah, wrong. I was completely wrong. Here's my new thoughts, but, but it's, it's good. It's healthy. And, and you're right. never going to do that if, um, you know, we talk about, you know, watching certain types of news. Well, I watch uh, Fox, I think it was to say. We have different ones in the UK that have different yeah, yeah. things. But, you know, I watch Fox. I watch The Guardian or, or I read The Guardian or I uh, only read The New York Times or I don't know which ones are right or left wing. So hopefully I'm not offending just one group just, by throwing out different ones. But, you know, but we do it political, right? We, we do it politically. Well, I only, you know, listen to this type of like group or whatever. And it was one of the things that they say is probably having one of the biggest influence on po politics today is our social media is um, this big echo chamber. So what it does right. is it decides what do you like while well, keep giving you that and it right. stops giving you things you don't like. Um, and so what happens is uh, we only see people that have the same Christian view. We only see things that have the same political view. We only see our friends who have the same football team or whatever, you know, right. and, and it just keeps becoming this big confirmation bias where I feel I'm right. But actually, I don't know, because right. I've at no point stopped and looked at different views, um, you know, with looking at the, the homosexual model uh, mm -hmm. module that I've just filmed. 
Um, I've probably done just over about a thousand hours I've worked out roughly. Um, mm. That's a lot of study. A right. lot of study for what will probably be about six and a half hours of video. Uh, right. You know, um, so anyone that complains that six and a half hours is long, I encourage you, go do a thousand hours of studying. <laughs> um, but the simple thing is, if I had kept within, you know, I've, I was brought up uh, Baptist brethren, charismatic, you know, those kind of movements, which are all typically fairly evangelical, very black and white. The Bible says this and it's wrong. Well, sure. if I just stuck in that thing, I could have talked talk, talked about homosexuality in about an hour and dealt with it. Mm. But actually, I did the hard work of going, well, what does every other kind of position look like? And what are the different arguments? And, oh, let's look at Romans 1 and then go, okay, what are the different positions? Oh, wow. I thought there was about one, maybe two. Throw out your Bible or say it as the Bible says it. And I'm like, there's actually about 20 different views of how to look at this and how to see it. Some are weak. Some are stronger. Um, some mm -hmm. are very persuasive. Um, and there's ones that support an affirming and ones that support a non-affirming. And you have to like look mm -hmm. at it all and wait up. And, and just presenting that information, that's what I've done, is I've not gone, this is what is right. I've gone, here are the different views. Go think about this. Go engage with this. Go pray with Holy Spirit and ask him to lead you into truth. But if you're not willing to do that work, I think actually you're already deceived. If you're mm. not willing to ask questions and pastors that are scared of questions, they're the worst, right? Oh. Because... All you're saying, all you're saying when you're scared of a question being asked, what you're saying is, I am not sure of my answer. Right. Because if you, if you're not scared, if you're sure of an answer, I don't care if people ask me questions about what I'm convicted of. Because right. I know I've got an answer. And if it doesn't hold up, I'll probably get a better answer. And Whereas, let me still, let me play the devil's advocate. I love that mm, phrase, dude. I'm going to play the uh, devil's advocate for the you're pastor. Side with Satan for the pastor. For the pastor. So the pastor, probably their motive is, well, it's probably out of a lack of trust for the other person, right? They go, okay, this young person is going to look into uh, Zen Buddhism, Hinduism, and atheism because they want to find the truth. What if they're like duped into it by some great sounding mm. argument? I don't trust that to happen. So I'm going to say, you don't need to look into all that stuff. We believe this for the Bible tells me so, right? That's another character yep. I like to pull out. Favorite, favorite it's like, phrase. It's like, it's like uh, we're scared of what other people might find if they yeah. do their own research. But, yeah, they might be led down a, a, a false path. I do believe in right and wrong. I do believe in mm -hmm. biblical authority and truth and all that. So I want people to, to follow truth, whatever that is. I want to follow truth, whatever that is. And some people might be led astray by questioning. But that still doesn't yeah. mean we should not allow for questioning yeah. and doubt. Right? And it's not asking the pastor to not share his conviction. Here's the thing. That pastor, mm. when they say, oh, don't look into Zen Buddhism, what are they saying? They're saying the Christ that I have communicated to you, that I've taught you, that I've given mm. you as a foundation, I don't think it's strong enough to hold up against you Googling Zen Buddhism and having to look into it for a couple hours. I think that that's more convincing than what I've taught you. That's terrifying. Is that actually what he believes? Because it's kind of what he's communicating by saying, don't, 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 don't look into that. No, if you truly believe in what you're communicating and what you're living your life by and what you're helping people engage with, then you shouldn't worry right. about these things. It's only going to strengthen their position. And in fact, it might actually help. Uh, you know, I was talking with um, uh, a guy right. called Mark uh, Sanchez on a podcast recently. I think you've listened to that yeah. one. I, and we were talking about... Buddhism talking about being present, being aware of the now, you know, fully present and fully aware of what's happening right now can be a, like some of those Buddhist kind of um, areas that the Buddhists really get down. They're really good at being here now. Now, they're not right. following Christ uh, necessarily, uh, but they're really right. good at being present. Now, what can a Christ follower learn from them? They can learn how to be present. 
Because actually right. a lot of Christians don't live in the present very well. They're fixated with the past and the future. And they very rarely enter into the now. And we're fixated with, well, Christ will come back and fix it later. And maybe God will fix this. And maybe do. we constantly want to change things. And, and actually just to go, actually, let me just stay here right now. Let me find Jesus. Let me I tell you what, I could sit and learn from a lot of Buddhist uh, monks or, uh, you know, teachers. Mm-hmm. or I don't know uh, what models necessarily they might use or, or terms. Right, right. But, you know, I, I probably could learn from someone like that. And, and I think... Um, it's just fear that holds us back from something like that. I, I'm very secure in Jesus. I'm very secure in my relationship with Jesus. I'm not worried that somehow it just takes me off on the beaten track. Um, right. So, yeah. I, and at the end of the day, right, and this is a really heretical statement. If you go and look into Buddhism and you go, wow, this is true. What I believe is rubbish. <laughs> well, isn't that a better position? If it, it, if it actually is true. Now, if it's not, if I be, if I think that and it's not true, then of course it's a terrible thing. But if, right. if, if it is, then well, what are we fearing? Like we, we're so, we're so operate uh, on a, on a level of fear and, and not trusting one another, not trusting the message, not trusting the gospel, not trusting Jesus. Um, and instead being terrified of a, a well-written article online or you know whatever i don't know a kid's going on a backpacking trick in india for three months or i don't know like right, right, um, right. I, I just i don't i don't see god quaking in his boots about us doing a google search on is it okay to tithe or you know or whatever right. i don't see god worried um right. because he's he's quite comfortable about leading us all into, into all truth um yeah i think it's the pastor um that is scared of questions it, they need to be the one asking questions of themselves and of their own uh, tradition, their own faith, their own beliefs, because right. there's some holes there. There really is. Right. Um, now, I know we've shared a lot of very like heretical sounding, <laughs> radical ideas in this podcast. So I'm going to redeem the whole thing by sharing a favorite scripture verse okay. that kind of ties into my point. And you're laughing because maybe you think I'm joking. But no, uh, we did share a lot of crazy notions. Um, Paul, I love Paul says, I've become all things to all men so that some might be saved, right? And then he Mm. goes on to kind of parse that out a little bit more to the Greek, a Greek, to the Jews, a Jew, Gentile, Gentile. It's such a great model to to think about when we're talking about relating to the culture, relating to a a Gen Zer, a millennial, a 50-year-old, a pastor, an atheist, a Muslim. Become all things to all men so that some might be saved. There's there's an ultimate goal there, but there's also a relational aspect of that of just relating to them where they're at. They like talking about uh, football, which I know that's two different things to me and you. <laughs> One's a really cool sport and one is like uh, something that's a zero zero tie after 60 minutes. Yep. Um, but, uh, you know, you find what what's their interest? Is it sports? Is it religion? Is it yep. Buddhism, politics, you know, talking to people, relating where they're at in a way that's agreeable, not disagreeable, a way that's engaging doesn't shut down conversations there's a real value there and paul saw that to the point of really shaping his evangelical model after that you know paul would rock up in your city and preach to you about your own god making it about jesus there you go (laughs) right i mean like how crazy is that he picks he picks a pagan god and goes oh uh let's call this one jesus that's the god of all things and you're like wait what like i mean imagine you did that today right insane right. i mean it's like walking into a mosque and going oh this person you call allah that's actually jesus come on guys like right. this is what it looks like and this is what it, you know it would be so offensive to the muslims but wow was it, you know you can understand why they turned the city upside down right but it, it's equally offensive to the christians today right the christians would be livid over that they would just yeah. they would turn their cities upside down right if you started to do right. that and so 
Um, but but this is the kind of the the techniques that Paul would use. I, I know I've kind of touched on that and made it a a, a bizarre analogy, of course. Um, but it's kind of I what know. he did, um, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I think we have to be um, capable of being all things to all people of of being millennials. You want to sit around in a pub on a Sunday evening and um, have a pint of beer and talk about. God and mystery and life and why do people die and why do bad things happen to good people and why do good things happen to bad people and what are we going to do about it? Why is this happening? Like, you want to do that? I, as a pastor, I'm going to, after the evening service, come by the pub and I'll sit and, you know, if I don't believe in drinking or whatever, fine, I'll have a Coke, I'll have an orange juice, but I'm going to sit with you all and I'm going to be a part of that conversation. I'm going to give you space to speak. That is becoming all things to all people. And you know what? They'll respect you. They'll listen to you when you do share. Um, not if you take over their their get together where they're actually engaging right. with God and, and experiencing God by by having this community. If you go in and take over and turn it into another church service, they're sure. not going to respect you at all. But if you go in and, and, and play on their terms with them, they're going to really respect that. They're going to value it. And and one of the things I say um, as well that we found is um, while there's a lot of people in our community that aren't interested in going along to regular everyday church, what we found is because we've given them room to think, to breathe, to um, to discuss, to question, they have started coming back to the church, a lot of them. Not all of them, by any means. And some probably never will come back. And I, mm. I personally am very okay with that. I don't have a problem mm. with it. I, I, I'm very happy with the way they're engaging with God and growing with God. Um, right. But actually giving people room for that and, and actually questioning what can we do to make room for that Um and so making room on their terms, but actually showing the willingness to go, hey, we're going to give one month of the of the one one week of the month every Sunday. We're just going to have a big Q&A. The whole church gets together. We'll eat food. We'll have drinks and we just share. Someone grabs the mic and goes, this is something I'm worried about. And I'm not sure. Like, how come like my mom died of cancer? I don't really get it. I know we teach that God wants everyone healed. But like, is anyone else struggled with this? And what's going on? And then just passing the mic around and people going, yeah, well, I really believe it. I really do. But man, I, I've not been through your experience and I can't imagine what it's like. And someone else going, you know what? I have been through experience and I struggle with it every day. And someone else grabbing the mic and going, I've been through that experience and I've come through the other side and this is what I see. And, and, and that's a really beautiful thing um, right. that maybe they'll only come once a month, but now they're coming once a month. And actually right. what you might find is the people that on the surface who like the church the way it is, some of them might be upset with that and they not, might not come once a month, but so be it. Mm. You know, they've got three other weeks of the month. Um, but actually a lot of them might start to engage and grow and develop a lot more through that model rather than sitting in the thing that we're comfortable with as well. And so I think it's important that it's, it's give and take as well. It's going into um, to where people are, but it's also saying, right. can we facilitate something for you as well? Um, I think that's a really big challenge for churches to be thinking of not just can we make a coffee shop or can we get some better songs or something like that it's uh can we can we have the conversation that you're having um definitely and some people can't you know it's not possible yeah, uh, totally. for whatever reason yeah. and that's okay and, and some people don't need to either i think again it's not so black and white it's not i, I don't want to turn this whole thing into a dualistic thing and uh, where there's a right or wrong and the, no, the no, perfect yeah, way that's... to do church or anything like that uh, that's yeah that's the opposite of our heart and our you know kind of thought behind this conversation you know my my thing is here's something i'm thinking about what do you think about communication in the church what do you think about why are millennials coming to church or not you know what is a good um strategy tactic in the church or you know how can we relate to people better i'm just you know it's it's good for us just to put these thoughts out there and not just always come with a well here's here's how the model for church you know yeah. you, you 
with the worship and because that's how the spirit comes into the building. And then you preach the word because that's how people hear the truth. And then you get them saved like these models, yeah. these dualistic models aren't as helpful to me. So I'm just trying to put some thoughts out there, not saying I have the answers yeah. necessarily. Um, but I think hopefully people enjoy the conversation. And, um, you know, this might make them think of how they can relate to people in their church community. And because um, that's what we want. We want uh, better relationships. And, you know, yeah. uh, we want to. Um, you know, we, we want people to be in church communities, no matter what that looks like. We don't know, you know, what the format's going to be, but it's, yeah. these are these are very, very valuable communities, and we want to, you know, just take advantage of that. So, yeah, absolutely. Amen. Amen. All right. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Um, that's what it's about. It's about cohesion. It's about bringing people together instead of pushing them apart. And right. um, yeah, I think that's that's what it is. And I think the more that we become. Um, the more the society becomes individualistic and the more that society um, sees more and more uh, individual views and ideas, the more we're going to have to experiment and, and we'll make lots of mistakes and we'll probably sure. not get it right. And the, the ideas that me and you throw around are what works in our local church, which frankly isn't always working. We make mistakes and we're changing things and things like that. But like what works might spark an idea for you, but it looks a bit different. And, and I think that's, um, that's okay. Like, experiment totally. make some mistakes have people feedback do you know what asking questions and going how did that work out was this actually would you just still go that's really irrelevant right because that's the thing right. as well we might change it and and like you know we might even be humored by some people but actually if we said look what do you think of that would you still get back 48 percent of people or whatever percentage right. you're like eh, it's kind of irrelevant you're like dang right. it right. right but it's better to know yeah. that than to just do a new model that's wrong and, and, and cool. so i think constantly just um just being fluid in that sense of just trying new things, changing things up, um, asking questions, um, not, not just of your faith, but of your tradition of the way you do church. I think that's a good thing. It's exciting. And it's changed. We, we have, we have to remember that what we do today is not what we've done forever. Um, we, we like to think that people were meeting in churches like we do today, 2000 years ago. No. Or even right. that Jews met in churches, right? Jews met in synagogues in Jesus's day. Yes. Right. But a few hundred years before that, they didn't. Mm. They, they didn't meet in synagogues they didn't have synagogues right. that's not something they did and so right. yeah, we, we 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 picture like abraham going to local church on a sunday almost not not quite but you know what i mean like right. we we right, right. we just forget that things have always been changing and shifting based sure. on culture or based on people how they interact and so i think it's really healthy to to be aware of that and open to that um, i agree so yeah anyway dan loved it man thanks so much for coming on um hopefully that was interesting to other people. I enjoyed it. So even if it's just me and you just chatting, I'm happy Still. to do that. So, <laughs> but if somebody lasted to the end here, props. That's yeah. that's amazing. Well done. Thanks well for done. Uh, putting up with us. <laughs> yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. So uh, wonderful. Um, I'm sure we'll have you on again anyway. And uh, thanks to everyone who's listening. Um, I'll see you again next week. See you and, on Facebook. Uh, yeah, and and check out. Keep your eye out for Dan on Facebook. <laughs> Uh, make sure you give him like a, a heart or a, or a thumbs up or a, a laugh or some sort of emoji or make it angry actually he'll, he'll angry like that that's good. funny because uh, that'll confuse people even more Ooh, uh, I like. <laughs> this is what we're about sowing confusion we're talking about unity and like bringing everyone <laughs> together and then we're just like totally doing the opposite on facebook <laughs> yeah that's it yeah, nah, cool thanks phil yeah thanks for being on Alrighty, that was dan heroy 
I hope you enjoyed that podcast as much as I did. Um, As always, if you're um, more of a visual learner, um, a lot of people that listen to the podcast don't realize that they can watch all the interviews as well over at thegracecourse.com. Um, and so if you want to watch videos rather than listen to audio, I know that's not always possible if you're jogging down the street or at the gym or something, but uh, I know I, f- I for one, love uh, watching videos. I f- I'm much more of a visual learner. You can do that over at thegracecourse.com. Everything over there is free. Um, there's not just um, the interviews that we have, but we also have um, dozens and dozens of hours of teaching on a whole bunch of different topics, heaven and hell, um, sexuality, identity, um, series on specific passages like Romans, uh, topic of sin, faith, all sorts of different things. And so um, you can check that out uh, as always for free. And if you want to support this ministry and help me keep everything for free as well, you can find out details over there on how to do that. And we have a partners discussion group over on Facebook as, as my way of saying thank you um, for those that want to support this ministry and keep it um, running and, and all our resources free. Um, But for now, I'll say goodbye. Um, I will see you again for our next podcast, which is going to be with Colby Martin, who's um, an incredible guy who wrote a great book about um, homosexuality. And um, it's going to be really fun talking with him. And so um, keep your eyes out for that one. Whatever you have ahead of you this week, be blessed. You are loved so deeply. Um, I pray that you know that. I pray that you walk in it. I pray that those around you get to experience it. Much love.